0: But today we're going to learn again about do, what to do and what to avoid while we walk through this world. And y'all can go ahead and turn Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. 16 years ago, I made one of the most important decisions of my life. Yeah, Now, I know salvation was the number one decision. But 16 years ago was one of the most important decisions. It was Gina's, I think, the biggest moment of her life. And it's when we were dating. We were met in high school. We started dating. And our first date, we went to gondola. Who, who, who anybody have a first date at Gondola? There's probably a few people who had a first date in Gondola. And I couldn't, and I was so nervous when we went on our first date that I couldn't find gondola. I couldn't find where it was. I was like, I know that I've been there before, but I can't find it. And I was driving all over Lebanon trying to find Gondola. It's weird. My brain just, I was so nervous. That's what happened. And then we were going to have a date at the Martin Triple. Because, y'all remember the Martin Triple? Amen. But I remember we were going to have a date at the Martin Triple. But it took me so long to get to Gondola. By the time we got to Martin Triple, it was closed. And so we went around and we started to walk around Kmart. And so that was what our first date was. Well, fast forward in time. I knew that Gina was, I wanted to ask her to marry me. I'd bought a ring. I'd asked her dad. I told my folks I was going to ask her to marry me. We were getting close to getting out of college, and it was just time. And I remember that I said, you know, all y'all have y'all sweet times of how you asked your wife to marry you or whatever. But I said, I was going to recreate our first date. And so we got in our car and we went. And all of a sudden, I pretended that I got lost and I couldn't find gondola. I went over to Martin Triple. It wasn't there no more, but we looked at the Dollar General. <laughs> and then we went over to walking through Kmart a little bit, and I was just kind of going. But then we went to the church at Cedar Grove. It was locked, but I asked somebody to give me a key. And I went into the church, and I went to the altar, and I was pretending that I was doing something there. And in the altar of God, I asked her to marry me. And I said... We're going to make this first, no matter what we do, and wherever God takes us, it's going to be because we trusted God the whole way, amen? And in that moment, though, Gina was just so excited, and she just couldn't believe that a man like me would ask her to marry her. But when I asked Gina to marry me, I gave her an engagement ring. And this engagement ring was not just a symbol of, of just a piece of metal or a piece of gold or whatever it was, whatever best freedmen's could give. <laughs> this ring symbolized something. It symbolized a promise. It symbolized that when I put it on her finger, that she belonged to me and I to her. And it meant that when we, got, we were going to get married, we were going to be together soon. But until then, there was a promise made. And no longer would, uh, how horrific would it be if I put that ring on her finger, but yet she started dating somebody else? How horrific would it be that I put that ring on her finger and she started living the way that she wanted to live? And she said, Brandon, it's not really about you. I'm just going to take this on and I'm going to put it off and on when I want to. No, that's not how it happened. When I put that ring on her finger, she was mine and I was hers. And we belonged together. We were going to be married. And she was going to be my number one. And she is. But I think that so many times we forget that we are engaged to the greatest groom in all the world. And that there was a time in your life where God got down. And I can't believe that God would come to me. But he did. And he said, Brandon, I love you with an everlasting love. And he convicted my soul. He told me, Brendan, you are a sinner. You have no hope. You have no chance. But I am reaching out my hand of salvation to you. Will you be mine? And I will be yours for all of eternity. Amen. But while I put this ring of salvation on your finger, there is a responsibility that you are no longer to be as the world. You are no longer to act as the world. You are no longer to be as the world. You are to be faithful to me. And one of these days, I'm coming back. And one of these days, I'm going to reunite. One of these days, I'm coming back from my church. And one of these days, we're going to be in heaven together for all of eternity. And you're going to get to worship me. And guys, we must understand that we must be a faithful bride. But I think so many times we say we're faithful to God, but we slip the ring off when we think He ain't looking and we put it back on when we believe that He is. But I'm going to tell you what, my friend, if God saved you, if He redeemed you, if there was a moment in a church pew just like this at Hillcrest Baptist Church where conviction fell all over your life and there was a moment that you walked out by faith and you came to an old altar like this, or maybe you talked to a preacher. Maybe you talked to a, a teacher. Maybe you talked to your mom or your dad. I don't care how you were saved. But the moment that Jesus redeemed you, the moment that Jesus saved you, in that moment you signed up for responsibility in God's kingdom. You died to yourself. You said, It's no longer about me, it's about Him. That's why it's so hard sometimes when you're sitting there in conviction in that moment that you're trusting Jesus to save you. It's not always a hunky-dory moment. It's hard. It's hard when you're white-knuckling that pew because in that moment you realize that God's calling you to a life of repentance. He's calling you to a life of not about you and it's all about him. He's calling you to a life that he says, son, daughter, you're dying to your old self and you're making me king of your life. And I don't know about you, but I held on because I wanted to be the king of my life. I didn't want the God to be the king, but I think a lot of times we come down the aisle, we make the decision, we say, God, you're the king of my life. But the moment, and we enjoy it, we put the ring on, we get baptized, we do what we're supposed to do. But then in the real moments where we're supposed to be following Jesus, we slip it off where nobody can see it. But Paul, the symbol of love, the symbol of commitment, the symbol of promise, It was an engagement that one day we'll be married together as one. When me and Gina got married, during the engagement, we were committed. She was mine, I was hers, we were promised one to another. And again, how sad would it be if she still lived like we weren't promised to one another. But today, the church, those that are saved, who make up the bride of Christ, we must understand that we are engaged, we are betrothed to one, and that's Jesus Christ. So the question is, what kind of bride would we be as we wait on the Lord Jesus? What kind of bride should we be as we wait on the Lord Jesus? Let's uh, read in Ephesians 5, 1 through 7, and then we're going to pray. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and had given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. That's what we just sung about. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for your blessings that you give us. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for um, the time of worship that we've had. And Lord, thank you, God, for saving our souls. And Lord, I pray, God, that today that we can put on the ring that you've put on our finger proudly. That one of these days we're going to be together. One of these days, you're coming back to get us. But until then, let us be faithful. Let us be a bride worthy of you, Lord. Let us be a people that when people see us out and about, that they say they are blood-bought and that they're not worldly. And Lord, help us to not be worldly and help us, Lord, to live for you, Jesus, in this nasty world in which we walk. And forgive us, for we fail you so often. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we must understand and what we must do as we walk and as we wait for the Lord, it says in verse 1, we must be followers of God. It says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. The problem with many modern day carnal Christians, and this is what's bothering me, guys. This is what's something that I've really been praying about in the youth is that why, is we look so often, why does the church look so carnal all the time? Why does it not look like God's church? Why do we not look like a biblical church? Why are we always having to fight things? Why are we always having to deal with issues? You say, well, it's sin. Yes, it's sin. And first of all, sin is so glorified in today's world. Sin is something that we do not take serious anymore. I was thinking about this, and how many times that even I have done this where I say, well, if it had anything to do with me, Jesus wouldn't, he, uh, he, he, I wouldn't even have a chance in heaven. But I'm thankful that he saved an old sinner like me. Who said, yeah, we all say that. And we mean it. But I think sometimes we put sin as something that is just part of us and it's our left arm and it's always going to be there. And no matter what, we're always going to have it and we might as well not fight against it. And we just assume that sin, the sin that I struggle with is just always going to be there. Guys, I understand something. We are all sinners. We all struggle. We all have, we are all going to deal with sin for the rest of our life. Can we get an amen on that? Yes. But there is sins in my life that I struggled with when I was young, but guess what? I started to follow Jesus and all of a sudden I have started to gain strength over those sins. But a lot of times we assume that the same sin that we struggled with the moment that we got saved is the same sin that we're always going to be defeated by the rest of our life. Guys, there must be growth in the Christian life. That is what it's talking about when it talks about sanctification. It is a process of becoming like Jesus day by day. And if you are the same baby Christian as you were the moment that he put the engagement ring on, and you are the same Christian today, and you're struggling with the same things, you're dealing with the same mess, something is wrong. Are you growing in Christ? Are you still struggling with the same old stuff? And I want to ask you why. Because, guys, we must rage war against sin. Now, we want to rage war against everybody else's sin, I can't tell you how many times I've preached and somebody says, I wish so-and-so was there to hear it. I wish that, oh man, Brandon, you really nailed them today. But let's turn that on us. When are we going to get worked up over our sin, my sin, not your sin? We can spend all day worried about somebody else. I can preach all day long, but it's all about you. uh, You better get your life cleaned up. When are we going to quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and say, God, I want to worry about me, my sin, my struggles. And when is the last time you've gotten all worked up because you are not living where you should be with Jesus Christ? When's the last time you said, I, I'm not following him the way that I should. I'm not imitating him the way that I should. My life doesn't even look like him. And even if I had to be convicted of being a Christian, to be honest, I wouldn't. The problem with many modern day Christians is that we have imitated and replicated each other. That is the issue. And we see that the one that we are to be imitating is Jesus Christ. But over time, slowly but surely, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus, the ultimate example of who we're supposed to be following. And we put people in his place. And we say, well, as long as I can be close to not Jesus, but as long as I can be close to Brother Brandon, I'll be all right. No, my friend, I'm not your example as long as I can be close to Brother David, as long as I can be close to Brother Troy. But over time, we have lowered the standard of Christianity. Before you know it, we are settling for a life that does not look like Jesus at all. And we have replicated one after another, after another, after another, after another, until we get a generation of people that don't witness We get a generation of people that don't pray. We get a generation of people that think it's okay to cuss. We get a generation of people that think it's okay to live worldly. As long as grace is there to save me, I can live as I want, do as I want, be as I want. And I'm going to tell you the ones that are passing that message on more than anybody else is the people in this pulpit. Preachers. Preachers are selling that message everywhere. You know why they're selling that message everywhere, David? Because you can grow a big number. The hard stuff is when you call people out on sin. In my whole short ministry that I've had, the easy times are when you get to tell people how good God is. The hard times are when they're living in sin and you have to call them out on it. And in that moment, they don't like you very much. In that moment, they kind of hate you. In that moment, when you call people out on where they are, all of a sudden they rise up against you. But that's what God is calling us to be in this world. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be judgmental, but we're supposed to be different. And our life should be different than the world around us. We are not supposed to look just like everybody else. Jesus didn't look like everybody else. In fact, it got him hung on the cross because he was different. But the problem is that we're imitating and replicating each other. The Bible says the word mimitate, which means followers, imitators. And who are we supposed to be mimicking? We are supposed to be mimicking God. Are we ever going to get there? No. But we're going to try. We're going to try our best. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle with my sin just because I'm a sinner. No, I'm going to strive every day. What did Paul say? He says, we are going to strive towards the finish line. I'm going to run across running as hard as I can. And my challenge to you today is if you've got a sin in your life, don't you ever settle for being satisfied with that sin. So many times we have sin in our life and we decide I can't defeat it, so I'm just going to live with it. And the only way that I can defeat it and the only way that I can get on with my life is to say that it's covered by God's grace. Amen, it is. But I'm telling you, my friend, we should never have a settling, polite when we're just okay being defeated by sin. Because it is taking our power. It is taking our strength. And there is a consequence to sin. And though that it is under the blood and though that it is under the cross, and though that we have a hope for heaven one of these days, that sin is still affecting our people. But as parents, we teach children to imitate. It is our job as parents to teach our children what they should do and what they shouldn't do. This is how you talk. This is how you act. This is what you don't do. And sometimes the children listen, and sometimes they don't. But it's still our parents' job to teach them. And it is God. He is our father in heaven. And he has taught us through scripture and through his life of how we are supposed to imitate him day by day. Now, it is up to us or whether we're going to listen to a holy, righteous God or we're going to imitate the world because it's easy. My life, you say, Brandon, does not imitate God. And if I ask every one of you this morning, what are some qualities of God? We could go all day. We could say truth, he is gracious, he is kind, he is merciful, he is holy, he is giving, he is sacrificial. We would say all these things and we would say amen, praise the Lord. Those are truth. But then we also see the qualities of Satan. Who's the direct opposite? He's a liar, he's ungrateful, he's mean, he's impatient, he's unrighteous, he's greedy, and he's selfish. And you say, Brandon, am I supposed to be perfect? I can't do all those all the time. I know my friend, that's why God died for you. But you should want to be perfect. You should want to be. I think a lot of times we talk about the woman that was caught in adultery. You don't know that story? Where all those people were about to throw stones at her? And Jesus came up and he said, You with a you that don't have sin, cast the first stone. And they all threw the stones down. I love that story. I'm not a judge. But we leave out the second half of stories. We like to hear, that. oh, don't judge me. But we forget what Jesus says right after that woman. Go and sin no more. Don't go back in adultery. Don't go back living the way that you were. Woman, I have saved you right here on the spot. But don't you go back living the same old defeated life. The man in the tombs who was strapped onto the wall because of his sin, because the devil had run all through his life. Jesus saved him. Son, I've came all the way across the sea to save you. But what did he say? Son, go back to living the way you were. No, he said, go home, tell people about me. Tell the world about me. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst, man. People hated Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was up in that tree and Zacchaeus, when Jesus came his way and Jesus came walking, he said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down today because I'm going to your house. And the moment that Zacchaeus' feet left the branch, he said, God, I'm trusting only you. In that moment, Zacchaeus was saved. But then he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And we see the story of Zacchaeus afterwards. Zacchaeus, I want to give everything that I owe back to you, Lord. Everything that I've stolen, I don't want to steal no more. Everything that I've taken dishonest, God, I want to give it back. He was a changed man. Has God changed you? Has He changed you? There's a saying that says, No God, K N O W. No God, no change. K-N-O-W, change. No God, no change. Then you switch it. No God, N-O, no God, no change. Guys, there should be a change in our life when Jesus saved us. It might be small. It might be little. But there is something that happens in you immediately, Adam. Now, you might not be... Uh, the greatest theologian ever the moment that you got saved. You might not be the greatest witnesser the moment that you got saved. You might not be the greatest prayer warrior the moment that you got saved, but there is something that happened to you the moment that you got saved, and that's that you love God. And that no longer am I following the world, but I want to imitate my Jesus. That happens immediately. Now, are you still going to struggle with sin? Are you still going to have flesh? Yes, you are. But that flesh, we give too much glory to the flesh. We give way too much glory to the flesh. And when we pretend that the flesh is stronger than our Savior, never in Scripture does it back that up. Every time that God came, He gave the holy elbow to sin. Amen? He changed people. Y'all like that? Get that holy elbow. He did. (laughs) My life, we must imitate the Lord. These Ephesians were Gentiles. And they were living in a worldly system. And they struggled with the worldliness that was coming into the church. And Paul was emphasizing, guys, you must shake off the world and you must put on Jesus. And if saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just a comforter. He is a comforter, but he is also a convictor. When's the last time you have been convicted over your sin? Not somebody else's sin, your sin. And you say, well, Brandon, I don't struggle with all the things that people say. I don't struggle with what I'm looking at. I don't struggle with, uh, with alcohol. I don't struggle with any of those things. That's not my problem. But you might have an inward sin that's just as bad as tearing you apart. You might be so filled up with pride that you wouldn't know the Lord if he was standing right beside you. You might be full of lying. You might be full of anger. You might be full of all of these things that are just as bad as the nasty things that we think are sin. But they make you just as powerless as looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. Amen? So two, we are to imitate His love in verse two. It says, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. At Calvary, there's no greater love for us as God sending Jesus as a substitute for us. I couldn't imagine giving away my son to anybody. I couldn't imagine giving away my daughter to anybody. But there's no greater love for us as God sending Jesus as a substitute for us. But then there's also no greater love for God as Jesus who cared only for the will of the Father. See we think about Jesus, we think about God sending his son Jesus into the world to die for our sin. But we forget how much it took Jesus in the will of God loving us just as much to glorify God no matter what. That he cared so much about his love for the Father that he was willing to die on a cross for our sin. And that his love for us overtook The pain in which what he was going to face. But he loved God so much that he cared to die. Greater love, the Bible says, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus offered himself in sacrifice. And we are to live a life that honors God. You say, well, Brandon, what does it mean to imitate Jesus? The same Jesus that died to self. The same Jesus that went to the cross saying, I care nothing but the will of my Father. The same Jesus that said, you can put the nails in my hands. I'm going to glorify my Lord that is in heaven. We are to imitate him. That means that when we think of the cross... The cross was not something that was, Jesus had to do. We know the story. He could have called 10,000 angels to call Him home at any moment. But yet, He willingly laid His life down on the cross as a willing sacrifice for you and for me. And so how do we imitate God? We are to be a willing sacrifice for the things of God. God is never going to twist your arm and make you do something. He wants you to do it because you love him. And there's a new nature that is in you because you are saved. It is not a chore to follow Jesus. It is a joy to follow Jesus because it is our way of glorifying our Father is in heaven. Because we don't have to do it. We get to do it and we get to give the glory all to Jesus because of him. But why? Why are we to live a life that is sacrificial? Why are we to live a life that honors God? Why? Because He first loved us. Adam and Eve never knew love until God showed them love. Adam and Eve could have been eradicated from this earth. And they never knew what love is. God could have talked to them about what love was. But until He was able to show them love, they didn't understand it. And when Adam and Eve sinned and Adam and Eve had rejected God and His rules and they had rejected the Lord and what He had asked them to do, in that moment they hid from the Lord. They sowed the fig leaves together. They were like, I don't know what to do. we got to hide ourselves. Jesus, the Lord's going to kill us. That's why they hid. They were petrified of what God was going to do to them. But in that moment, Jesus appears to them. God appears to them. And not only does he not kill them, he gives them a skin to cover them. He said, I had to shed blood for you. And in that moment, Adam and Eve, in their petrified state for the first time, realized what love was. That though I yet was a sinner, and that I was a a wretch, and that I stood there on trembling knees just like Adam and Eve, God made a sacrifice. And in that moment, I understand love because God showed me what true sacrificial love was by sending His Son Jesus into this world. And I never knew what love was until I understood that I was a lost sinner. That my sin had separated me from an all-knowing, all-loving, righteous God, y'all. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember the moment that you're sitting there in your sin? And conviction falls over your life. And you realize that, man, I thought I was good, but I'm not. I thought I was nice, but I'm not. According to Scripture, I'm nothing but an old wretched sinner. And how in the world is one of these days I expect to be able to stand before an all-knowing righteous God and him be okay with me? And He's not. But He's okay with Jesus. He loves Jesus. And Jesus lived a life that I couldn't live. And Jesus died a death that I should have. And Jesus is alive where I was dead. And because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, He has, he has put on righteousness on my life. Where I had no righteousness, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And then one of these days, Adam, I'm going to get to go to heaven. And I'm going to try to tell him like, I, like, oh well, I, I preached as hard as I could. It don't matter. it's filthy rags. And all that's going to matter is when Jesus steps out and he says, "He is mine, because I put a ring of salvation on his finger, and we were engaged. and in this moment, I'm getting to get married to him, and he's married to me. I belong to Jesus. Amen, Amen. But God showed us Agape love. Unconditional, sacrificial love on the cross. And how after that, how after we understand what love is, can we want to live in sin? How? How can we be satisfied living in sin after you understand true agape love? Three, we must imitate his walk. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that nor homemonger, nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let it not be once named you. What, let it not be once named among you," the Bible says. We are to protect our lives and we are to protect our testimony. Guys, I know that we all sin. I know that we all struggle. I know, again, I'm going to keep telling, I know that. I know that you struggle. I know that there's times where you go home and you are not who you are here. I know that. And I don't even know you that well because I know what it means to be a sinner. I know what it means to have brain that, that thinks things that it shouldn't think. I know what it means to have a flesh that longs after things that it shouldn't. I'm no different than you. And now we can act like we're holy or we can act like we can go home and say, yeah, Brendan, you're right. When I go home, that's where Satan hits me harder than anywhere else. But guys, I want you to understand just because we struggle does not give us a right to do it. Just because we struggle does not give us a right to give in to sin. He says, not let it once be named among you. We are to protect our lives and to protect our testimony. Your testimony is all you got. Your testimony while you're walking through this world, when you say, I believe in Jesus, I'm imitating Jesus, that testimony that you are going out into this world matters. And is your testimony... Does it have any strength? You say, Brandon, I don't know. I'm going to tell you something. If you claim Jesus and you're living as a world, you have no strength in your testimony. If you're living as any which way that you want to live and yet you want to claim holy, holy, no, it has no weight. And everybody in here should want to have a life that testimony means something. That what you say is what you are. And when you go back home, you're the same person as you are today. And that's my challenge to everybody in here. Are When you go home, are you the same person as you are on a Sunday morning? And you say, Brandon, does that mean I'm lost? No, it very well might mean that you're under conviction if God's convicting you of it. And there is a place that you can go in repentance. And God will pick you back up. He will set you free and he'll send you on. Amen? But if you're not convicted... Holy Ghost conviction is the greatest thing and the worst thing at the same time. Who in here ever got whooped by their daddy? Oh, I did. My daddy could get that belt off faster than anybody else, man. It was like, whoo, And here he come. You don't mess with it. And in that moment, my dad, whenever I was doing something wrong, now he only whipped me when I was doing something wrong. When I was out of bounds, when I had disobeyed him, But I remember my daddy said, if I love you, I'll chastise you. If I hate you, I won't. I'll let you go on living the way that you're living and I'll never tell you a thing. But if I love you, I want better for you. God's the same way. What kind of God would allow you and bless you in your sin? Now, if you're a a saved person in here, And you know you're saved. You know you've trusted only Jesus to save you. You know that He's your Lord. But you got something that's out of bounds in your life. And you say, well, Brandon, I just wonder why I'm never happy. I wonder why I never have peace. I wonder why I never have joy. I wonder why I don't have power. Because God can't bless you in sin. Because if He blessed you while you were living in sin, He would be condoning your sin. And we don't serve a God that condones sin. We serve a God who loves us more than that, and He's going to whip us until we come back to Him. That is Holy Ghost conviction. But if you're a person that sin never bothers you, sin is just something that you do, and you cast it off as just anything else, and God never, ever convicts you of your wrongs, He never tugs your heart. He never says, son, daughter, there's more to this life. I want better for you. You never feel God tug your heart. My friend, i got to ask you, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Because once you know Him, there's no unknowing Him. Because once He changes you, He changes you. Travis, you ain't the same as you were the moment you got saved. You ain't the same, I've heard your testimony. You ain't the same man no more. I've heard David and, Travis, and I've heard so many. You ain't the same. He's changed you. He's changed you from the inside out. And I've yet to meet a perfect person. Ain't none of them here, including me, but I'm changed. But we are to be different. If you were on the stand today, would anyone be able to convict you of being a Jesus follower? That's just a question to ask us. And then finally... Look at verse 5-7, through seven, it says, For this you know, that no homemonger, no unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be, be not ye therefore partakers with them. We live in a time where sin is normal and accepted. Adrian Rogers used to say it best. He said, when sin used to slump down back alleys, Now it marches down Broadway. Where things used to be shameful, now we hold pride in those sins. Where things used to bother us, it no longer bothers us. Where people used to slump because they seen the preacher coming, they now bow up in pride because they want to show that preacher who's boss. That's truth. There was a time when you were living in sin. And you had seen the preacher coming, you at least ran the other way cuz you didn't want him seeing you. I know there's people now. They see the preacher coming who's supposed to be a man of the Lord and they bow up and say, "What you going to say to me, preacher? You going to judge me? You ain't no better than I am." What kind of world have we created? What kind of world have we imitated? Guys, I want us to understand that there's so much more in this life. Illicit behavior, cursing, cheating, filthiness. You say, Brandon, it's fine. But we, if not careful, we will imitate the world around us, not even meaning to. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 3. And I think sometimes we just act like sin is an accepted part of life. We shouldn't want to Uh, be victors over our sin. We should want to be victors over our sin because we serve a Jesus who is a victor. But the big problem in the Ephesians church and the same, same thing I think we struggle with today, there was a people in the Ephesian church that said sin does not matter. God is love and forgives no matter what. We wouldn't know mercy unless we let God forgive us. So let us live the way we want and let God's mercy and love shine through. While that is some truth, there's a lot of lies in that. Because there is a difference in hating your sin. There's a difference in fighting against your sin because you changed. And there's a difference in accepting and justifying your sin. God and sin, He says, no more. He said, no more be a part of it. Do not be partakers. And that's what I'm finished with. No God, no change. No God, no change. And you say, Brandon, I'm in a place where Sin is running wild in my life. I don't know what to do. You say you keep preaching on this week after week. Guys, trust me. I want to give a lot happier sermon. I do. I want to get in here and do a rah, rah, amen. God's got it. And I believe that he does. But I believe true blessings come through repentance. When we put God back on the throne and we take ourselves off the throne. And that word repentance is not used very much anymore. It is a turning. It is that we were going one way and we are turning back to Jesus Christ. And the moment that you came trusting Jesus, you are repenting of your sin. But guess what? That's the beginning of repentance. It's followed by thousands of more in your life where we have to repent to the Lord because we're a lot like the Israelites. It doesn't take us very long to be running through the wilderness. Wanting things that we don't even know that we want. Not wanting things that are bad for us. Complaining to the Lord about everything that he, he hasn't done instead of what He has done. And if we're not careful, we'll end up back in there for 40 more years. And some of you have been running through the desert for most of your Christian life. And all you got to do is cross the river. And the promised land is right there. But yet we settle for second best or worse. And we just roam and roam and roam and roam and roam. But God says, look at the ark. The presence of God is about to go across. All you've got to do is place your eyes on Jesus and go as He goes. And if He tells you to get rid of something, that means the ark is moving. Get rid of it. If you know there's a bad relationship, sever it. God might redeem it, but He's going to redeem it through truth, not the way you're going. Whatever is going through your life right now, when the ark moves and God says to follow me, follow Him. And guess what? You're going to see a promised land on the other side. But guys, I pray that today that this spoke to somebody's heart. If somebody in here is lost, you've got a choice to make. And when you're a lost person, the choice that you make for Jesus determines your destiny. I believe it with all of my heart that this Bible is truth and that the decision that I made for Jesus when I was 15 years old, even though I was, haven't lived the best life that I should have, that God put an engagement ring on my finger and He's never going to take it off because in that moment, I decided for Jesus. And the Lord came into my heart. He saved me. He changed my life. He changed my direction. And it ain't always been easy, but it's been good. And if you're somebody here today that's lost, you're just wondering. You're just in a wilderness. My friend, listen to the still small voice that's calling you out of the wilderness. And when you trust Him by faith, trusting only Jesus to save you, You say, Lord, come into my heart. We are all against the sinner's prayer these days, but the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I believe there's something special when a man is under conviction, when a woman's under conviction, when a child is under conviction, when the Lord is telling you that you're a sinner and that He is the only way of salvation. You say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, save my soul, and I'm trusting You with all my life. And everything that God did, He did publicly. And I believe there's something that seals it when we publicly announce Jesus as our Savior. And if you'll do that, if God's calling you, if He ain't calling you, don't. But if He's calling you, you come. You say, Brandon, I'm part of this church and I just haven't been living for Jesus the way I should. Guys, I wholeheartedly believe that God's got something great for this church going forward. I know y'all can feel the anticipation You can feel it coming. But guys, I'm not going to be satisfied with just leaders doing it. I'm not going to be satisfied unless everybody in this church is going forward for the name of Jesus. Amen? That's when things get awesome. That's when revival happens. When the people of God will repent. When the people of God who will get real and they will seek God again. That's when real revival happens. Other than that, it's just these like, you know, little emotional things. I don't want emotion. I want real. And I think the way that happens is we get real with God and we trust him no matter what. So whatever God's calling you to do today, you come and that's all I got. I ain't going to say nothing else.